0: So, Konstantin, you were talking about uh, your experiences actually in my part of the world. And if you would be kind enough to repeat for the audience your experiences in the glorious state of capitalism and how it treated <laughs> uh, both you as a journalist and, and people actually living there during... Uh, during Katrina, I think it would be super interesting to to hear again.
1: I guess I need to apologize for my English. I didn't have uh, many Don't. opportunities to practice. <laughs> so if there will be pauses or some... Problems in our communication. Uh, I I I'd like to apologize for that in advance. As far as taxes goes, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I had a, a, a quite a career as a journalist, as a reporter. I spent roughly four years in the United States, and I visited some peculiar places and in, in interesting in, in, in interesting times. Uh, We went to Katrina in 2000, uh, uh, to to, to Louisiana in 2005 because of Katrina. Nobody uh, actually expected it to be such a horrendous disaster. So we were completely unprepared. But we arrived one of the, uh, we were one of the first international crews on the spot. And what I began to see immediately was how, how, how the system which was considered the most powerful, the best, the best in the world, the role model for everybody else, including Russia, was beginning to fall to fall apart uh, right before you, and uh, that was completely incomprehensible in my opinion. I couldn't understand how was it all possible. Uh, we uh, first of all we went to uh, New Orleans on our own, and there were no curfew at that time. And uh, after negotiating with the police, we were allowed to get, to sneak in. And what we saw on the ground, uh, it appalled me. <laughs> I saw people shocked and frightened, abandoned in the city. Uh, they told me that there were waves of evacuation, that, that the white, mm-hmm. white people and the rich people were evacuated first. Then there were many other waves, but uh, the people of color and what, what, what surprised me the uh, international students some of them were Russians we found them were completely uh, forgotten and uh, they had to make their own choices uh, the Russians it, it's a separate story because many Russian uh, students who came to the US on their work and travel program they were in in complete and total um uh romance with the united states and and the, you know the atmosphere of entrepreneurship
0: i was one right here and i could not <laughs> oh, more. yeah yeah please continue so, yeah, yeah so I, so they they
2: you... I, I didn't have that phase because the americans came to me <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you, go. you either go Sorry, to them or they
0: come to you and
1: you get shells right? yeah. yeah please continue <laughs> and and then when when you face up such an unexpected t- twist, and 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 you see uh, yourself forgotten, and being unable to evacuate, having to wave flags from the top of the building and and scream and shout and wait for the police to come and rescue you, Um, that kind of changes your mind, but it didn't affect their state of mind immediately. Most of them decided that despite of all the sufferings and difficulties, they would like to stay in the United States and and, and apply for um, for, for permission to, to be there for a year or two years but uh we saw it and it it was again it was frightening we we saw bodies in trenches we saw sick people who were left and uh with no with no help we 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 heard horrific uh, messages on the local radio it was not retransmitted really by by the big media <laughs> but people were talking about hundreds and and thousands of casualties mm. to me it it was it was a it was a, a, a very um, dramatic moment to realize. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the United States, honestly. Prior to that, I traveled the world as a Based. as a reporter. I covered numerous conflicts where the U.S. capital was involved. I wasn't yet even, even remotely a Marxist. By then, I was rather like a victim of the Russian uh, nationalistic propaganda which I contributed a lot to but uh, nevertheless I still uh, was v- very impressed by by the might and and the the scale of what the American state was and when you see this um, state machine in in com- completely incapable of you know helping its own people uh, it it, it, it leaves an impression. The the, the very same hurricane, Katrina, it approached uh, New Orleans right after it uh, went through Cuba. And uh, the Cuban government managed to evacuate thousands of its citizens. And there was a coordinated effort to minimize the damage. So they did pretty well comparing. They offered all sorts of assistance they could, a tiny tiny Cuba uh to the US government and they were rejected like many others inclu- yeah. including Russia so so uh yeah that was the moment to to remember
3: <laughs> yeah that's the whole Katrina saga is just the perfect example of disaster capitalism um that the US takes advantage of because for years since i think 1998 uh, activists were saying to uh, officials that, "Hey, these levees are going to break, and when they break, the city is going to be destroyed." And of course, instead of having the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers fix the levees and you know bolster hmm. the city's defenses, they were busy um, with oil and gas. Thanks to Iraq, um, that was a more profitable endeavor for them to be sent to work on. But not only that, the wetlands outside of New Orleans um, were were stripped. Uh, and, and wetlands work as a kind of natural buffer for, for storms. Um, they slow them down and take some of the, the wind out of their sails, so to speak. But those wetlands were systematically destroyed because they weren't profitable. And instead, that same Corps of Engineers was used to to cut a swath, uh, a channel, through that region of the wetlands to expedite shipping in the region. So there was kind of it was a, like a double whammy there that they mm. went for profits and oh, weakened the the defenses of a very vulnerable city in two ways at the same time. So they laid the groundwork for what would have been just a fairly run-of-the-mill tropical storm because it wasn't even a hurricane mm. at that point when it made landfall in, on New Orleans. It was, it was downgraded to a tropical storm. Yeah. But it completely destroyed the city. So what would have been a, you know, we call natural disasters these horrific events, but they're only disasters if they are allowed to wreak havoc like they did in mm. New Orleans. Like you said with Cuba, if there is competent leadership and a government that cares about its people, it doesn't have to be a disaster. It can just be a weather event. And But the Katrina is just such a damning example of what the United States values and what it does not.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It took time for me to figure that the Russian government is actually no different in the way it treats its own population <laughs> i just don't want to sound like you know somebody who, who came to the us to to look for for oh, sure. trouble yeah. and and disasters to cover
0: especially for someone who is uh, who's coming at that point from uh, a country which uh, turned into another country, and from born in a in a state which no longer exists, which uh, presumably, from the Western perspective, has crumbled because of its in all its own inefficacies when it comes to how the state should be run and how uh, the different Soviet republics should be organized, etc. etc. And then you go and visit the the prime uh, eye opening, not even eye opening, but just oblivion. Obviously, obvious to call it that uh, example of uh, the ideology that ended history on the other side, which presumably has uh, defeated the the backwards uh, ideals of, uh, in this case, the Soviets, and yet you know they cannot uh, save their own people from uh, from a bunch of uh, a bunch of water while right across uh, uh, a tiny speck of the ocean, a barely noticeable on the map island and manages to perform uh, far better. All I'm saying is this obviously wasn't uh, the first time that you've seen massive events with your own eyes, etc., etc., but it must have uh, brought a sort of uh, sense of dilemma in you between what is seen by all as... uh, The ideological victor of the Cold War Versus what that ideological victor Is actually capable of doing on the the ground uh, Which is borderline pathetic So if this is the ideology that we should all strive towards Not ideology, but if this is the standard we should all strive for Then uh, human potential is massively lost (laughs) to say the least
1: Yeah, Yeah. And, and in the recent Russian history there are many uh, lo- local uh, Katrina of the smaller size with, with casualties, uh, with, with um, extensive damage which were ignored by the Russian government. Or, uh, I mean, I, mean I, I could see America on every corner in Russia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, 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 the views and pictures that I, I documented in, in Camden, for example, New Jersey, um, it's very typical for the rural Russian provincial russian regions
2: what makes it more interesting is the fact that again this is not a defense of modern capitalist russia of course but what makes it more interesting is that russia as it currently exists is of course a semi-fractured nation who has been like severely weakened in geopolitical standing and wealth and whatnot Uh, meanwhile the united states has been the wealthiest country on earth for several decades if not for over a century at this point So, with an even yeah, basically that's my point is that even though the current Russian government is still a a capitalist government, which doesn't frankly doesn't care, um, the American government is still somehow (laughs) managed to be worse, (laughs) and this is just (laughs) basically comparing two rotten apples. (laughs) But yeah, that's just a a point to to bring up.
1: Yeah, probably, but it's hard to say which bourgeoisie is more guilty. I think the modus Mm, modus operandi is universal. It takes some time mm. for, uh, for you to, to understand that. Um, it took years for me to, to grasp it.
2: The best thing, way to think about it is that the rope won't differentiate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of The Deep Programme. Today we have something very special for you Living up to the hype of being a truly international platform for leftists of most stripes We are pleased to welcome Konstantin Viktorovich Syomin An esteemed Russian journalist, blogger, former TV presenter And the biggest openly Marxist content creator in that entire part of the world When I told some of my Russian friends I am... Having you on, they fangirled like crazy. And to be honest, I am kind of fangirling right now a bit as well. But ignore me. The reason why this is such an important episode is because we were tired of listening to the loudest echo chamber in the world. Western political media built up of obviously liberals, conservatives, and even leftists fighting over who can have a hotter take on the political (laughs) climate in the entire post-Soviet world. So, what better way to get your information than straight from the horse's mouth? Or in this case, straight from the bear's mouth. A very, very red bear. Constantin uh, is one of the most principled and most well-read Marxists I've had the pleasure of watching, so I invite our audience to truly listen to what he has to say. Welcome once again, Constantin. Thank you for coming. Now, please feel free to tell our audience a bit about yourself before we jump into the first topic of the evening.
1: Well, thank you so much for such an, uh, an introduction, which I obviously don't (laughs) deserve. Uh, I tried to give you some (laughs) (laughs) biographical details about myself. Uh, I started working as a journalist at the age of 16. Um, When I was 20, I uh, was hired by the second biggest Russian uh, national television station like all other stations, belonged and belongs to the state. Uh, I worked there for uh, almost 20 years being a a reporter, a a rowing correspondent, an international correspondent. I also covered some affairs in the Kremlin. Then I was appointed uh, to be the U.S. bureau chief. That's how it was called. And I spent four years in the United States in New York So I traveled throughout uh, the United States as well. Uh, When I got back uh, to Moscow, I was uh, hosting a nightly news show where I was allowed to comment events uh, from a very subjective point of view. And probably that made my television career A little shorter than I expected. Uh, (laughs) So in 2014, I was promoted. (laughs) No, I was was, uh, moved to a a secondary uh, television station, which also belongs to the state, uh, Russia 24, like uh, 24 hours news Mm -hmm. channel. And I was doing some five minutes long pieces, uh, commentary pieces for them, very personal to but less damaging to the uh, broadcaster. And I called them Agitprop, I don't know if it has a an exact translation into English. It but does. It does. Okay. Mm. So uh, it was um, a little provocative at first, and it, I think it was until the very last moment in 2019 when I was asked to, uh, to leave actually, and I didn't p- protest. I moved over to the internet where I was also present. And uh, since then, since uh, 2019, I, I only exist in on YouTube, and I'm 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 running a, a YouTube channel, Agitprop 2 That's that's what what I am. That's how you know me. And I'm trying to educate myself, uh, and and I try to spread propaganda around me. That's who I am.
0: Beautiful, absolutely phenomenal. I encourage everyone to check out uh, Konstantin's work. Absolutely everything that they do will be linked in the description and we will tell you, give you extra details on where you can find Konstantin at the end of the episode. But already, if you want to check anything out, it's in the description below, above whatever platform we're on, it's going to look look different. So let's, uh, let's get it started, I guess. Uh, Konstantin, I'm going to be very direct. What's it like being... Someone in the communist camp in Russia right now. Recently, a colleague of yours of sorts, another, uh, what we would call Marxist content creator, got an unfriendly visit by the FSB. So, uh, I don't know, that must not be very fun. Uh, Tell us, is uh, everyone on edge as much as we think they are?
1: I think it depends pretty much on how you define communism. If you are... A member of the russian communist party an official organization which is explicitly supporting putin and the russian bourgeoisie then you should be okay uh, you're going to be a part of big television shows you are going to have public financing and um, virtually you wouldn't have any difficulties in being a communist in that way as far as uh, uh, you mentioned my 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 friend Andrei Rudoy, who was forced to leave uh, a couple of weeks ago because his apartment was raided by by the FS, FSB as is, is uh, the local equivalent of FBI. If not everyone knows that, so um, somebody knocked on his door from the FSB and they wanted to talk to him about an anti-war post on the internet by his former associates, uh, he decided that it doesn't make sense to wait until they uh, smash the door and and, uh, when they left at night, he he also vanished. Uh, Does that mean that we are in grave and mortal danger already? I don't think so. But we are gradually approaching that situation. We are in the society which is um, developing into something way more fascistic than it uh, used to be a couple of years ago and uh with the contradictions between the russian bourgeoisie and the rest of the world rising i think the domestic pressure upon everybody who is calling himself communist is going to be on the rise as well if you uh the reason why we are not in trouble yet is probably because we are we are picking words very carefully, we are working on 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 the phraseological side of propaganda, and we try our best not to become a target. But uh, it doesn't mean that we are giving up the class essence of communist ideology, the propaganda that we have to distribute as communists. Uh, and still, I think that we are not. In 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 a grave danger, uh, like our comrades in Ukraine, who are living in in this state of, of uh, outlaws and uh, being hunted down. But I don't think that the distance between Ukraine and Russia is so great. We are closing the gap. That, that was my point for many years. I was yep. trying to explain to my audience that uh, I mean, where there are there any references to the Nazi regime and Nazi collaborators in, in Ukraine. Yes, they were and they are very visible. But when people are saying that from my side of the border, I want them to be truthful to themselves and, and look in the mirror and, and see what's happening here. And I was saying that Ukraine and Russia are still <laughs> still have... Very much in common in in terms of what they are turning into after the dissolution of the USSR because the 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 chemistry the physics of the society of both countries are identical. We have the same oligarchs, mm-hmm. we have the same capital uh, that strives to protect its its property, and for that, at one point or another, it's going to employ the brown skirts, the stormtroopers they are already employed. In ukraine and they in my opinion they will definitely inevitably will be employed here
0: absolutely i mean ukraine and russia are basically two mirrors bouncing off of each other which have directed themselves in slightly different directions after the after 1989 and uh, have let's call them slightly different colors of the same sort of palette when it comes to uh, the way that uh, not only capitalism has developed but that uh, the top of the top of the bourgeois core has ended up taking uh, the the power in in both of the both of the countries and seeing both of them going to a direction that uh to actually quote uh uh one of uh my favorite videos that you've made is relatively similar to uh the one that uh, yugoslav uh nationalist conflicts uh did as a direct consequence of you know the power vacuum uh, the uh, the left left by uh, by basically not existing anymore. Uh, I mean the similarities are eerie, and uh, as someone from the Balkans, I can wholeheartedly tell you that. Uh, but but that we know, you know the the solution of the USSR. Would eventually lead to you know national bourgeois interests pushing us all into conflict. But what would be interesting to hear though is uh, your opinion on the, I guess, historic sequence of events before and more importantly after '89 that uh, that kind of got us here.
1: I am not an an expert to to give you the historic or uh, socio-economic perspective here but i'll try to give you my understanding of it i think that we cannot put the blame of um, dissolving the ussr on just on the po- uh, late, late late soviet bureaucracy or um, we cannot explain it through the lens of the cold war it wasn't obviously just the defeat or the victory by by the imperialist forces of the West. It was something more complicated. And through the years, as you study it, and we have a, a vast network of Marxist circles here who are talking about that issue day and night, and we have discussions and, and forums. And, and you asked me how communists feel here. Uh, they still they are still able to do that. They're they still still able to communicate, to exchange some thoughts and ideas. But I think that who is a communist? It is someone who is fighting for uh, the workers and who is, uh, uh, who, who is fighting against the dictatorship of capital. And if you're doing it sincerely and openly, you are going to get into trouble in the end in that regard we are still learning we're still at the very beginning um, the question that you asked me is uh, the part uh, is is a part of our theoretical experience now we're talking about that we're thinking about that and one of the popular explanations which i share to the dissolution of the soviet union is that the revolution of 1917 like all processes in material world, uh, like any revolution, had to live through its uh, beginning and uh, through its culminating point, and then it started its uh, essential and natural decline. That's why, because we had such a short period of time to cope with feodal uh, prejudices and the remnants of the previous era, which in Russia lasted for hundreds of years. The revolution was just a a, a short-living spark in time and universe to try to change Russia and to bring us to the new stage of development. But because it was a very short-living experience and because the forces of the past were so powerful, when I'm talking about the forces of the past, I mean the previous modes of production, like we had a 90% of the population in 1917 involved in, in agricultural labor and to transform such a vast mass of people into first workers then enlightened workers professional workers unite them and uh, to overcome inevitable interracial inter interreligious contradictions that existed on such a, 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 a big chunk of territory, uh, 11 time zones. For that, we had... And under constant
0: sabotage by the rest of the world, let's not forget that.
1: Yes, we were in the class struggle with the forces of uh, uh, anti-counter-revolution from around the world. Although we were supported by many countries and many progressive individuals from Europe and the United States and Latin America and Asia, still our ranks were not equal. with uh, the dominant powers of the world. And uh, I think that one of the factors was the Second World War, which is called the Great Patriotic War here, which kind of, uh, which co- it costed us millions of lives and many of those lost, uh, lost lives were um, communists, uh, people ideologically motivated and uh, very much needed in order to fight for the cause of revolution in the future. And they were not there after yeah. 1945. But the most important argument, which I find, find absolutely appropriate, is that from 1950s, there was a process of slow restoration of capitalism within the Soviet economy. And one of the most important Parts of that restoration was the creation of big state monopolies, which had to compete with each other on the almost market basis. There were no market prices, there there were no such categories as profit in the Soviet economy. But nevertheless, the competition was there. And uh, the remnants of capitalism, not to mention the remnants of feudalism, were slowly winning back territory
0: being brought to the forefront
1: yeah so uh, this is how in 1970s we started talking about the peaceful coexistence with the capitalist system and that was the beginning of the end of russia-oriented socialist camp because the social uh, the soviet um, uh, bureaucracy the nomenklatura was not thinking about bringing the revolution forward pushing it and uh, spreading the socialist transformation outside its borders what mattered to them was their own self-sufficiency they they were acting like like any other nationalist government and at many many uh, right revolutionaries of the 20th century noticed that and wrote about it, like Fidel Castro and um, Che Guevara and many others who came to Moscow in, in the 50s, in the 60s. And later on, they they were very disappointed with the fact that there was an obvious national interest on the agenda for the Soviet elite. And once you make that turn, once you're looking for a deal with the capitalist Environment that you have to exist in, you are more interested in uh, fighting for what you, for what you have uh, rather than what you want to and what you have to fight for. I think that was the beginning of the big decay, and the events of uh, 1989 and and 1991 were the inevitable continuation of that logic.
0: But do you think that uh, after? all of these events which have led to the in unfortunate uh, downfall of uh, of the soviet dream where to quote you actually uh, you know uh, man is not only man's wolf but something more do you think that it would have inevitably went to the events such as what is currently happening between russia and ukraine what happened in chechnya etc cetera, etc cetera? are these are these the direct consequences of something which is relatively new in history, which is, you know, the power vacuum left after the falling apart of a socialist experiment, or could have, uh, I don't know, destiny to, to use to be relatively silly here. Uh, could, have, could it have uh, taken us into, into a different direction? Basically, what I'm asking
1: you is, was what we're seeing avoidable or not? Nah? I don't think it was avoidable. At least not in the in the 80s in the 80s the process had gone too far it was unstoppable once you have capital in the system it will smash its way forward and it did so within the soviet economy there were tiny capitals again in each and every of its uh, ethnic republics the national conflicts were predetermined they were unavoidable and as a former citizen of Yugoslavia, do you know that the trajectory is the same? Yeah,
0: yeah. It That's is what not. I mentioned earlier. It's Absolutely. not about
1: Russians. It's not about Ukrainians. Not about Chechens. Not about the Jigs or Kyrgyz or, or any other nations, because the the, the very uh, nature of uh, national conflicts lies in the contradictions of capital. I
0: I couldn't agree more, and that's I was kind of directing you towards the the answer that maybe a lot of uh, people in our audience, maybe not as much in our audience, but generally people who uh, engage in realpolitik a bit too much uh, than they're a bit more than they're supposed to, thinking that there is uh, a. Uh, solution of international law or of a specific type of regulation which can lead to the elimination of interstate conflict through the development of you know the liberal parliamentary democracy etc etc but uh, it is inevitable to reach a point in which you know the the capitalist class must uh, must look for uh, a way to parasite the capitalist classes of of its uh, of its neighboring states and uh, to excuse its own inadequacies through uh, the pursuit of uh, imperial and sometimes not even imperial war Uh, but uh, let's 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 touch on something that's uh, arguably going to be even more interesting which is uh, tell us like how are leftists aligning themselves uh, in Russia regarding what's currently happening, uh, Western comrades have mostly jumped on board on one team or another and have been, you know, sticking to it as if it's a football match. Uh, what's the situation in the, on the ground where you're at? Is there any consensus amongst the local left wing? Uh, organizations or not? Nah. I mean you you mentioned As long as you're pro what the state is uh, Conducting you're good uh, uh, If you are uh, Openly stating uh, Anything against it you're not But there must be a bit
1: uh, More grey in between That black and
0: white am I wrong
1: No you're not well To begin with it was the Official communist party of the Russian Federation who requested the government to send troops. And that's the starting point for the big divide that we are seeing here. And this is also why I said it's not easy to be a communist. You need to prove who you are, not by words, but by deeds. And uh, we have a problem with that, obviously, but we are not alone in having such a problem. <laughs> and to me, it reminds me of the situation at the beginning of the 20th century, prior to World War I, There wasn't a single communist party or socialist party in Europe who was not divided. And there were always everywhere the so-called socialists who chose to support its own bourgeoisie, its own government. And they found arguments to justify that. Usually they talk about the national liberation movement that they have to uh, support, that they have to reach out to. And this is exactly what the so-called Russian communists, official communists, uh, are saying today. They're talking about the interests of the of the uh, discriminated people, Russian-speaking people of the Donbass, that couldn't be ignored. And that's why they're saying you need to be with your government, regardless of all the all the evil that the government represents and all the evil things that it is doing to the working class. At this moment, at this historical juncture, your government. Is and and the, the interests, uh, the essential interests of your government, of your ruling class, of your bourgeoisie coincides with the interests of your workers. That they are saying, like the Kautskys of the past, no difference. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, but we have to remember that there are many Kautskys. They are not l- only uh, located in Russia, and that's why I think your comparison with the football match are very relevant and very appropriate. We are not at a football game. Mm -hmm. This isn't the sport. Hundreds and and thousands of people are dying every day. And what people don't understand, uh, what people in in the Western hemisphere do not comprehend, I think, is that this is not a a game between Ukraine and Russia. And this isn't a game between Russia and NATO and, and, and America, for example. This is the beginning, the early stage of the world war. It's not going to be confined Within the Ukrainian or Russian borders This is the beginning This is the story will, Which will affect each and every family In Poland and Hungary In France and Spain Or, or United Kingdom The United States, or Latin America The Middle East And certainly South Asia Won't be just observers And outs- outsiders to that process This is the beginning so I think that the most important thing today is to... And this is why I think our conversation today is very timely and is needed. The most important problem is how we would, how we can, if we can, rebuild the international solidarity between the working people, which was ruined, which was deconstructed after the fall of the USSR. And that solidarity movement is extremely necessary today we are on the brink of some calamity of 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 horrific events which we i think don't understand completely we we are not fully aware of the dangers that we are facing as as a humanity not as as you know russian communists or european leftists and for that the the primary condition for rebuilding such understanding between the, the working classes of the world, the primary condition is the evidence that each and every socialist movement, each and every communist party or a tiny Marxist circle, each and every one of us are mostly focused on fighting our own domestic bourgeoisie. For example, I can tell you a lot of things about you know, <laughs> Biden and US imperialism and, and the downsides of the evacuation process and, and the Hurricane Katrina. But it, this is not my number one priority. I have to be focused about on on what is happening in my courtyard. And only on, on such condition, we can start talking frankly to each other and, and regain trust between the, the uh, socialist movements of various countries. So if we get back to uh, Russia, we have a tiny minority, a, a very small group of left-wing bloggers, Marxists. We don't have a party here, and it, it, it's, it is uh, frankly impossible to, to have it registered. There's no political process that you can take part in. But there's a bunch of individuals here who formulated their attitude to the war right after its start in February, who made everything they could to distance themselves from the official communists, who are seeing the, the, the tragedy, the catastrophe of the expanding military conflict as the beginning of the new international war, and who are, first of all, concerned and focused on the criticizing the role and on on attracting the world's attention to to the role of the Russian bourgeoisie in in uh, instigating this, and this is why I think that our work here, our propaganda here, our communicating efforts here, are going to be more and more problematic in the future.
0: Absolutely, I mean that's why the, the like doing stuff like this, as I intru- intrude the the episode in general, and I hope Hakim and JT agree, is that absolutely nobody is really doing this. I mean, nobody's actually talking to one another, and even if they do, they're only looking for someone to confirm the things that they already uh previously think even and that is is like a problem i'm not only talking about you know cnn bbc and and fox and rt these these are uh people who consider themselves communists but as you eloquently put uh, uh have maybe not actually earned to call themselves as such but uh, nevertheless they do they 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 refuse to to uh, engage with one another because you know in the so called marketplace of ideas you uh yeah, you get the grift going uh, and growing uh, if you stick to one particular uh, crowd opinion and do not switch it uh, at any point, and this is only exacerbated even more when it comes to uh, opinions between uh, Marxists of different uh, nationalities, ethnicities, religions, and so on so it 's very difficult to sit uh, it 's very difficult to even organize sitting at the table, let alone uh, talking on one but while we are not talking, the opposing force is as cliche as it sounds, sure, sure as hell is. So uh, couldn't uh, couldn't agree more. But I just wanted to comment on you know the, the the because I I honestly personally subjectively feel like it might be taking it a bit to to the next step, even though it potentially still could happen. Why do you believe that uh, the current events which uh, are transpiring between uh, the Russian Federation and and Ukraine? Uh, are so vastly different to many large-scale conflicts that we've, for example, even seen in the Cold War but which have not led to a world war or r- events since the 90s in general, mass-scale warfare, obviously not to the same extent as the one between uh, Russian Federation and Ukraine. Uh, why Why do you think that this particular case could lead to a much while, a much wider uh uh, much more uh, internationalist conflict than what we've seen before. Basically, that's what I'm asking.
1: I think that as Marxists, we have to look for fundamental materialistic reasons behind the behind any conflict, right? And uh, we cannot say that what's happening is happening because of one individual, be it Putin or anybody else. Of course. So, what causes wars in general is there should be a contradiction, right? Or a bunch of contradiction, or a, a, a mountain of contradictions, and we are having that mountain of contradiction right bef- before our eyes. The fundamental reason for the new imperialist war is the global capitalist crisis, which actually it, it didn't stop in two thousand nine. It is still going on, but uh, the next phase of it is going to be mortally dangerous for the capitalist elites. Everywhere in the US, in China, in Russia, or elsewhere. So, as we know from the past, such contradictions, the, the capitalist systems know only one way to resolve them. And it is either a major crisis, financial downturn, or, and they usually go, go together, it is a major war. And what's going on between Ukraine and Russia is not related to Russia and Ukraine. It is not a conflict of Putin and Zelensky. It is not a battle of Putin and the so-called West. It is the the logical continuation of the. What what is war? War is a competition for, through other means, and uh, we are seeing the two giant centers of capital which are competing for primacy, the domination on the global markets, and. Russia versus Ukraine is just one of the fronts, front lines of the of this uh, f- future where that conflict is fought. And f- yeah, exactly. It, it is not the only one, surely not. If you take a look back at how the world, uh, the First World War began, you would see the very same picture. Smaller conflicts in various parts of the world, where the the big countries were competing, from South Africa to the Balkans. In 1910, in 1912, in 1913, in Asia, in Africa, everywhere. Then when it turns out that the contradictions are irresolvable, a tiny provocation starts the major war. So this is exactly... I think the parallels are indisputable. They are very visible. And I I, I haven't yet met anybody who would be able to give me a a solid enough counter-argument. So Ukraine and Russia are just a small part of this future frontline. Where else it could be continued? Taiwan is on everybody's mind. It will also be joined by the Middle East, South Caucasus, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Iran, Turkey, Turkey versus Greece, and I don't even mention Latin America, where you have many conflicts in its de- in their development. So uh, I'm pretty sure that it has... Su- such a global uh, perspective, and we have to look at this conflict not through the subject pers- just a local one personal, or, or. personal lens, yeah, because many liberals here and in, in, in the West, as far as I'm, I, I heard, they are seeing it as, a, as a, you know a, a problem of one ad- adventurous murders uh, politician who should be removed, and then it all calms down and, and the situation gets back to normal it won't. It's not about Putin or Zelensky or Biden or Xi Jinping. It is about capitalism. And capitalism resolves its contradictions through wars.
0: Nothing to add, to be perfectly honest, uh, except uh, I hope that the contradictions have not piled up so much that there is no manner through which the working class can potentially start to resolve them before they reach a point of so much calamity that they would engulf the whole world in fire, but that are only the hopes of uh, little old me, the dialectic will tell us the future of our species from this moment on, I guess. But let's, uh, let's make it we went very, very broad, which is extremely interesting. But let's like talk about something extremely specific, such as, for example, uh, the killing of uh, Alexandra Dugina. Uh, it massively restarted the conversation on Dugin on, all over the world. Uh, and the right wing figure had been constantly defined by you know Western media as some sort of ideological genius behind Putin. Uh, but whenever I would mention this to any of my Russian friends, the response would be rolling laughter and dismissal. So uh, is there anything to this story or is it just uh, sensationalism? And uh, if not, uh, I know I'm, I'm, we're trying to simplify it, but uh, still I think it's uh, it's interesting to debunk even if it's not true. So if not, are there any like quote-unquote ideological leaders behind uh, the Russian government or the Ukrainian one, for that matter, or not?
1: You know, if you asked me that question half a year ago, I think I would probably laugh too. It it, it is a laughable figure, a laughable person, and um, it is not widely popular, and nobody was taking Dugin seriously up until recently. But then... For example, today, just a couple of hours ago, he had a meeting with Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus. Oh, wow. And that made me ask if Dugin is allowed to such corridors of power. Where else is he treated as a big philosopher? And how influential is he in reality?
0: Oh, you just fucked me. Oh, my
1: God. Really? Yeah, yeah. Google Google it. Fuck. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I believe you. I believe you. And that puzzles me and not only me. And if you match that fact with some of the wording Putin chose in his recent speech talking about the satanic influences of the Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. the West. Anglo-Saxon race yeah. that was I was like you know
0: that meme where Leonardo DiCaprio from what was that movie Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood it's like pointing at the screen and I was like there he said it he said it was when when Putin was yeah. referring to uh, I, was, I did that exact meme my, my, all of my friends in the room were like
1: what the fuck are you doing it was it was absolutely <laughs> classless sorry so please continue so we've been thinking that it was a Joke that it was an anecdote, and it couldn't be true. I think seven years ago I had a chance to talk for an hour with Dugin. I didn't know who he was, and he was a host or even a chief editor at one of the most right-wing uh, television uh, stations here, the Tsargrad. Oh yeah,
0: Tsargrad. It's called Tsargrad. You, you, I you, love you it. know,
1: yeah. <laughs> He, I love he, it it is owned by, by <laughs> one of the uh, one of the russian oligarchs uh, um, orthodox or oligarchs very religious but oh, yeah, frankly just buy churches all the time oligarchs. by their way into heaven yeah, Mal- got a fucking love constantine yeah, malafiev yeah. he's the owner and dugin there uh, was occupying the post of the chief editor, so he invited me while I was working on the, for, for the state television, and I started my show. I get there in red and black um, um, colors. It it, it, it was uh, the intro was drawn in such colors, and uh, they for some reason I didn't know. I, I I was guessing why was I of any interest to Dugin, but then I I realized that red and black is the typical gamma for all the right wingers everywhere so they probably thought that they have something to talk to me about and they invited me and I talked to dugin for an hour and this was when he wait
0: they they thought they that you were kind of like uh sending like smart signals to they all your right wing right wing brothers all they, over the world listen, like ah, look i do they, the black and red not, thing <laughs>
1: they, like all fascists everywhere today they are not openly talking about fascism. They are talking about justice. They are talking about oligarchy that is robbing the people. And you need to, to get rid of the internationalist oligarchs who are sucking Russian blood out. So they are very actively exploiting the socialist phraseology as they did in mm-hmm. Germany in 1930s. Always, always. Yeah, they are doing that. It, it always, you can never find everywhere. originality
0: in a fascist. Yes, never.
1: They, are doing, they are doing that in Turkey. That's why Dugin has friends there. They are doing that in Hungary. They are doing it in the United States of America. It's all the same. Maybe there in, in the U.S., they are more like pro-market, pro-liberal mm. uh, p- yeah. p- p- in terms of the economy. But here they like to play with one very important aspect that we probably did not plan to touch upon is the exploitation of the post-Soviet nostalgia within the masses. And uh, because many people have zero knowledge of what socialism is or was, but they are thinking, they are remembering that this was a more or less uh, just society. It didn't have such... um, the gap between the poor and the rich wasn't that that wide as it is today and they they are very nostalgic towards the ussr and this nostalgia is being exploited by people like Duging and and others and uh with that they are mixing this the, the post soviet nostalgia with uh, nationalism and the feelings of revanchism they are they're building something some new Spirit out of that, and in 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 its core, that spirit is purely fascistic. So I I spoke with Dugin for an hour, and to me it was a revelation because he he was very open. He he didn't hide what his views are, and he he said such (laughs) strikingly uh, crazy things about communism and 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 socialism and, and the USSR that it really, <laughs> really shocked me right there. Since then, I <laughs> cut all communications with the people who invited me to, to Tsargrad and tried to forget about them. But I thought that he's just... Sorry for playing, your trauma, my friend. <laughs> ...playing crazy. And then yeah, you shit. see yeah. him meeting Lukashenko today. And ze- then you, you're, you're seeing his... And, and, there are a couple of tele, uh, you know, the Telegram is is a, a popular substitution for all other uh, of social course, media we all here. Use it. Yeah. So we all are on Telegram, and. um he is frequently quoted by the pro-government, like official Telegram channels. It's like a, a pure idiocy. Uh, I, I cannot even. When,
0: when, when, the, the three next days after his daughter was uh, murdered, after he was supposed to be uh, assassinated, absolutely every single uh, uh, news uh, war news Telegram that I follow had so many videos. Of uh, of uh, right leaning Russian soldiers, I guess, uh, like for example, firing rockets and saying "Zaduginu" or uh, "This is yeah. for uh, for Dugin," etc. So it was like like. On one front, I have, like, my Russian friends telling him, man, this guy's a meme. This is, like, deep internet shit. This is, like, niche, funny, funny funny beard guy says stupid shit to call the fourth column. Like, oh, conservatism is the new progressivism. Like, meme guy. But then you see, like, guys on the front read this dude. Like... Sorry, and now he's meeting with Lukashenko. I'm not trying I'm not uh, trying to be non-academic and connect uh, A to B to Z pun yeah, intended. And then Putin but, refers
1: uh, to him as one of our they attack our philosophers, he says. Yeah. And then, and then you start it, saying, what, what, Oh my god, maybe yeah. maybe there's something to this, right? So this is very I think it, it is very dangerous. It's like finding out that somebody who's piloting your plane is a lunatic and you cannot do anything with it. And he's like absolutely determined to smash your <laughs> your plane into yeah. the wall. <laughs> uh, and this is the state of mind that we are in. Very, very frightening. And I had a chance to talk to Daria also, and I need to mention. That okay. was also in two thousand wow. mm-hmm. two thousand fifteen. I think it is a very tragic thing that happened but you know, I was invited uh, to a conference of the l- left-winging publicists and, and bloggers in, in in the Balkans. Actually, it was in Greece in 2015. And they they said uh, I didn't even realize that the organizers were uh, in a way related to Dugin and, and his organizations. And they said like there were there, there will be uh, socialists from Switzerland, from Germany, and we need we need to hear your perspective on on various various uh, problems so i agreed uh, th- uh, we went there and there i met daria and we talked and what um shocked me and surprised me was how often they used the term war they were talking about the war constantly about about how inevitable the war is and how we as a society need the war to get rid of the all, all, all the all the rot and all the rebirth the, through fire oh, yeah exactly that is classic mo- another they, classic they've been talking about that and and uh, she seemed seemed to me um uh, how old was she 22 i think um and uh she, I, I i thought who made that to you I, I i was very surprised to hear such things for from such a young young girl and um I didn't know that uh, her last name was Dugina, because she, uh, she introduced herself as Daria Platonova. But uh, I think that she eventually became another victim of her father's crazy ideologies. And now I'm, I'm very worried that there will be more, that the numbers will be counted in, not in thousands, but maybe in millions. Yeah. Uh, So
0: I we always at this podcast, we always try to spin it to a bit of a, a joke, almost everything, no matter how serious it is. And we sometimes have to apologize because we overdo it. But respectfully, if if this world goes into a massive world conflict based on Such an idiotic ideology as what Dugin proposes, maybe and respectfully, we deserve to be burned the fuck to the ground because (laughs) that, like, I, 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 yeah, I said, I said uh, one
1: thing I'd like to add is though that you shouldn't forget about your own Dugins. Uh, you have plenty mm, of, course, of them. All we Europe, have and, of. And, and he has very, a very, um, a very positive relations with. Uh, but I
0: thought you guys were better. You his know, alter egos the, in the in the, the,
1: in, the left. Like, the
0: leftovers of class consciousness in the in the post-Soviet world were
1: supposed to no, stop no, the development of it. such
0: reactionary degenerates. It but, surprises uh, you know, me
1: that some people still think that what's left of the ussr could become the platform for rebuilding of socialism that we are somehow responsible uh, for socialism get the same thing with yugoslavia will yeah, be it's, it's a meme no but what i wanted to stress out is that he had good relations and he has good relations with the uh, his his uh, uh, american counterparts and some of mm-hmm. them took part in um, uh, creating zagrad I even met some of the um, producers uh, associated with the Fox Network in in their studio. Uh, So uh, we need to look carefully after the Dugans of the West. In the U.S., they are hoping to win a major victory in November. And um, uh, there's no lack of crazy people elsewhere. So we are not alone. And, And... it would be very disappointing to learn that, yeah, say the least. <laughs> if, if, it, if the, the world is, is run by, by craziness, not, <laughs> by not, not just not just mm. us are, it's uh, host, the, the hostages of of his lunacy. But then again,
0: but then again, when we think about, for example, when we talk about World War Two and World War One, just follow me with this. Uh, okay, World War Two in particular, like we look at uh, Nazism, uh, National Socialism, <laughs> uh, the NSDAP, and it genuinely looks absolutely bafflingly insane to us. So maybe if uh, there's anything left in 200 years and they look back at uh, why we fought our wars today, which, again, I hope it doesn't come to that, uh, they will, uh, to the same extent as we look back, look back at us and say, okay, none of this makes fucking sense what the goddamn hell are you people doing, but uh, uh, to a particular subset of... uh, People lost in time and space because of the the way the the system is uh, pushing them towards uh, right-wing extremism is set up Uh, to them, I guess it it makes sense. But like speaking about uh, insanity, particularly, uh, okay, not insanity, speaking about uh, ideological direction, uh, what about, tell us. Teach us uh, about Putin and his party in particular. Uh, we know that uh, wars are not led by individual men or their ideas. They are, as we said multiple times during this episode, led by uh, different types of contradictions, which are created by the inadequacies of the system. But still, let's uh, let's follow through. What would you say their like long-term? goals are from obviously a Marxist perspective are they like simple neoconservative opportunists willing to do anything to preserve long term political power or uh, real so called patriots looking out for uh, Russia same back uh, just so we don't like uh, throw everything just in Russia same uh, with uh, Zelensky and his folk over over in Ukraine What what do you think drives them
1: I think that we shouldn't explain everything through the lens of personal craziness. Again, sorry to repeat of course. that. And it's very important. I th- also forgot to mention that all fascists are needed when capital feels endangered by the crisis and he's scared of the workers' potential unrest. It needs to subjugate labor. That's when it becomes a limelight moment for the Dugins and the like and this is exactly what's happening very unfortunate it is for us that the working class is sleeping its class conscience is sleeping and it does not realize its own natural interests this is why the poor people the working people are going to be thrown into this bloodbath first because the rich are not going to to risk their lives and not going to die but getting back to what you asked me how I see the primitive logic of this conflict I think that there were lengthy negotiations between Putin and his clique and 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 the new Biden administration as you remember it was relatively okay with Trump because Trump was more focused on China and he was hoping to bring Putin on his side so the choice was either you sit quiet and 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 look at the US-Chinese competition from a side or we will destroy you and I think that was the beginning of the Putin-Biden dialogue it didn't go well so when Biden evacuated from Afghanistan it obviously was already on his mind that something was about to happen in Ukraine I think the offer was, if you don't comply, uh, we will b- break the Minsk agreements. You remember that was the,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, the only sort of the, the only reason
1: yeah. how uh, why why the, the uh, war in the Donbas stopped. They signed a sort of a deal, and uh, I think that Putin and his peers they felt so. Enthusiastic about the military potential of Russia, they—they they were, I think, that they were uh, filled up with their own propaganda. They are. <laughs> Some people say here that they are watching the the TV they are paying for, and the television. No. The television had been telling for years that we we won the war in Syria. We a major blow to the US imperialism there. And we have a top notch army, which is capable of, you know, beating the shit out of NATO and everybody else. So that was the set of mind in February, when Biden said, Okay, there's no Minsk. And Putin said, I, I, I'm, I'm fantasizing. I have no, zero confidence in my version of events but I think I'm pretty close no please
0: do and, and, and Putin said oh,
1: okay then there's no Ukraine and then he was getting himself prepared to that to, for, for that uh, last summer he published a lengthy article addressing himself to Ukrainians where he described Ukraine as an anti-Russia and he said then that Russia won't ever uh, be able to tolerate such anti-Russia on its borders so there were many other but okay
0: sorry I have to interrupt you so the, the reason he wrote the article the reason that all the events have transpired from the perspective of uh, of Putin's party is it to reestablish themselves at, uh, on, the, on the throne of uh, Russian parliamentary politics or do you think it's the need to uh, leave a legacy behind to actually serve the interests of Russia or like fight Five hundred other potential reasons
1: i think many what just many reasons played out many reasons he was obviously he he, he've been talking so many times about the greatest tragedy of the 20th century which was the collapse of the ussr and he as a former kgb officer whose responsibility direct responsibility was to not to let it happen he was i I think he was living with this thought for years or, or he was it was his personal desire to leave a trace in history as someone who who eventually restored the damaged uh, national dignity of Russia. And uh, he's equaling Russia, the the Tsarist Russia and the contemporary Russia to the USSR. He sees no difference. For him it is one and the same. So I think that that was one of the motives. But most importantly, he was thinking about gaining access for the Russian monopolistic capital to some new markets and resources, he was thinking about. And he just recently he acknowledged it publicly that uh, he wanted to restore water supply for the Crimeans because mm-hmm. the, water, the water was cut out. It was a very very painful issue for uh, the Putin government and for for the, for Crimea. So there, were many, uh, more than one, obviously uh, materialistic reasons that dictated his logic, and and uh, eventual decision to strike first. But uh, primarily, I think that if he had to ta- to make this decision today, knowing what he knows already, he won't. He wouldn't he wouldn't ever do that again <laughs> but he was thinking it was a grave miscalculation on his side definitely but it was a very well constructed um uh, miscalculation
0: but, it, but 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 that is that is super interesting coming from you because it it tends to be a a common point among even comrades in the in the west and in the rest of the world Uh, But not only them but liberals and conservatives as well That uh, it can't possibly be that simple Like it cannot possibly just be a miscalculation I mean come on It is everything uh, It
1: It is definitely a miscalculation Otherwise it wouldn't be such a disaster And it is a disaster
0: but what about trusting the plan? Maybe they're playing 4D chess, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm joking. I'm, I am I'm, I'm, I'm pretending to be I'm pretending to be the usual typical Western Twitteroid uh, idiot that would ar- argue I, you. I, I, in, maybe in the I'm same not adding
1: manner. enough humor to your podcast. But oh, you no, know, no, knowing no, no, that you, you, that this week, like a day ago, uh, 15 people died in in one of the. A rural town. training in, in, yeah in, in, on the Russian this territory and people yeah. are dying every day in in Ukraine and they are not even mentioned in the Russian news uh, i I cannot be very humorous unfortunately of course uh, so uh, I think that there was everything there was definitely a personal miscalculation which is a representation of how rotten and outdated and anti-progressive, the current political regime is. This is not the major uh, reason, but one of the important particular details we have to keep in mind. Yes, Yes. it's definitely a factor, absolutely. So it it was obviously, and and for sure, I'm not saying that it it is just Putin who who was guided into this trap, although he was guided into this trap and the trap was well-prepared. It was prepared by NATO for years. it, It was no question, it was a game between the bigger imperialist and the small predator. But despite all that, was there a personal mov- moment and in personal involvement and in personal decision? I think, surely it was. So, so uh, he 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 was thinking that uh, because no, Ameri- no, no that's the, clear. That the, the Americans no, on, are on. are on retreat. He's given a chance to grab a vast chunk of territory to solve many questions of the local importance one of them being the transit of power in 2024 and if you say it is a version but i think it's very truthful one if you reunite the former soviet republics like belarus ukraine and russia into something into the newer russia which would remind to millions of the USSR, he would go to history as as somebody to be respected. And I think he wanted such respect,
0: we like to we like to usually finish on uh, on a positive note, uh, or at least not a positive, at least uh, optimistic, even though uh, in times like this, especially for your part of the world, there's very uh, little sun to come through the clouds. Uh, but before I go to the to the concluding question, I believe Hakim had uh, had uh, an inquiry towards you that uh, might not uh, be uh, completely in line with everything that uh, that we touched now. That is very like current moment, current moment stuff, but it would uh, still be extremely interesting to hear your uh, your view on. So Hakim, please.
2: Yes, uh, it's a very quick question, actually. But um, a pet interest of mine, I guess you can call it, is economic planning and all the current research that goes into it. And I'm aware of plenty of research in the Russian sphere on this sort of stuff. Um, A lot of it is not usually, like, it's not state-supported. These are usually independent PhDs or grad students who do this sort of work. But I was wondering, do you know of anything that's going on in that sphere Uh, basically, the the, the developments within the Russian economic planning sphere. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. Despite
2: the fact that it doesn't take place within the Russian state, but you understand what I mean.
1: Oh, yeah. There are a number of people who are working in that direction. A friend of mine, Alexey Safronov, um, who is an economist uh, with some of the governmental institutions, and he's not alone. Um, There's a YouTube channel, uh, Simple Numbers, Простые числа, in Russia. In yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Russian, they are uh, more inclined to view the world through Wellerstein's lens, but nevertheless, they are uh, writing and um, talking uh, very often about the aspects of economic planning and how how it is, how it has to be, how it could be, how it, how it was in the Soviet Union. So um, there are many. Uh, what, what what's good about the state of communist movement in today's russia is that there are many people who are experiencing themselves or is is that the way to say it they who are uh, finding interest in theory and they are uh, writing papers they are uh, taking part in discussions and economic planning is one of the most important aspect of this work so if you are willing to find context uh, contacts in 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 this uh, academic sphere uh, academic circles i may try to find uh, appropriate people for you and uh, get you in touch
2: please do i'd would, I would highly appreciate
0: it phenomenal so the 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 lightly positive uh, touch point that uh, we wanted to finish on, I guess, is, uh, I mean, uh, the Bolsheviks came to power when Russia was in a drawn-out war during World War One. Uh, do you see any possibility for political radicalization by the conflict to inspire the young and old in uh, looking at the left once more as their savior? Could this be used to grow the movement or has it already been hijacked uh, is what I'm basically asking or will this just push the country further right the way we've seen in many post socialist experiments.
1: I'm worried about nuclear weapons. You <laughs> <He> wanted <laughs> me to say something funny.
0: <laughs> no, not funny, my friend. <laughs> if no, we asked you take them aside they're...
1: and uh, look at what's going on here and there and in, in, in the Balkans and everywhere, I think that the radicalization you are talking about is inevitable, but it, it has to come at a price. And that price might be very high and it was high not in worth the past. Paying. Oh, you okay, mentioned okay. Bolsheviks, but okay. Now kn- it
0: was funny. Now your joke ended up being funny. Okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, it depends on what is high and what the price is. You mentioned Bolsheviks, but nobody knew Bolsheviks in 1917. They, they their ranks were like eighty-eight thousand members of the whole party, and they were not r- running the show even in spring of 1917. So the radicalization of masses is brought by suffering and war and crisis and unemployment. And these are not the events that we are actually hoping to see. Mm -hmm. We are not going to to, to applaud them. But we understand that as Marxists that class conscience only... uh, I, I I, 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 I mean, people wake up only when... There's something happening to them if the what they they are concerned mm-hmm. about today is how to conserve how to save their current way of life, how to make things as they used to be. people who are going to be freezing in Europe they're only concerned about how to actually rewind to the previous state of you know world- world affairs and the economy, and they are not seeing. The, shortage, the power shortages or the, the military conflicts they are dragged into as a consequence of the capitalist collapse of the capitalist crisis. They will start asking questions. They will be getting answers. And this is going to be a very decisive and important moment because the socialists and the communists are not the ones who are going to be giving answers to them. Our right-wing competitors will be offering their own very simple solutions and they will be winning over their hearts and minds, the hearts and minds of, of, of the ordinary people, of the working people. They will be pointing fingers at the conspirators, at the evil nations who caused the trouble. The Russians, the Ukrainians, the Poles, the Jews, everybody will be guilty. But I think that like Lenin said once, there wouldn't be a Russian revolution without the World War I. The exact saying might be different, but the meaning is that. So I think that we will see the major awakening of the people on all continents. And what I'm very worried about is that we're not ready for that moment. And to be ready for that, we, we need to rebuild the international solidarity of the socialist. Organizations and for that, every one of us has has to be concerned primarily about its own number one enemy: its local bourgeoisie, its local oligarchy, and that's what we're trying to do here. And I hope that this concept is equally shared by everyone on that podcast today. For sure, that was this was a
2: great interview. Absolutely, mm-hmm. um, the, the uh, it's always interesting to get the perspective especially from post-socialist countries because there is a um, a real experience of socialism there and the consequences of the restoration of capitalism that show themselves differently than for example in in many cases like my own case in a semi-colonial formerly feudal country and whatnot um but really we do appreciate your time we appreciate that you (laughs) took (laughs) time out of your very busy schedule to come and talk to a bunch of uh, idiots on the internet but um (laughs) uh, i was gonna ask you um do you have any projects that you're currently working on if it's anything that's you want to keep you know under wraps then of course keep it under wraps but uh, organization-wise or anything
1: else within russia currently it's hard to plan anything today uh, given the mobilization that has started uh, and you know we're living through a manhunt on the streets <laughs> uh it, it is also a challenge for everyone of was because One thing is to, you know, be anti-war and, you know, critical of the government. And another one is to make a decision. Either you're going to the battlefront or you're hiding or you're trying to escape the country and and then do what? So it's challenging to plan anything today. But we are thinking and we're planning nevertheless. We would like to be part of the rejuvenated Socialist movement in the future Russia. We are stretching our hands to all comrades in the former Soviet so, so socialist republics, and um, in 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 other countries like your countries. I cannot go any further, and I'm trying to be very accurate in my in my in my wording today. <laughs> for obvious and, and you've done op- a great
0: job no you've done a for, great for, job
1: for for obvious reasons but yes we we have some ideas and we are working on them we would like to give a new impulse to socialist propaganda here but we are yet a little undecided as of where and how it could be perceived and how how can we do it, how, how how we can do the, it better so i won't go into further details but yes yes we are not going to sit silent and and watch from a side
0: which we thank you for just please stay stay safe and be careful and you have so much uh, experience throughout your uh, throughout your life that i'm sure you will utilize it uh, properly for a git prop one a git prop two a git prop 77 and as many git props that might be necessary in the future uh thank you for coming on the show uh everyone listening you will be able to find uh all the resources uh uh of all the work that uh constant constantine is putting out into the world uh constantine if you would like to uh, tell our dear listeners about uh, where they could find you online uh, any last closing messages and uh will bring this uh, long, but I believe very informative episode to a close.
1: You can easily find me on YouTube, but unfortunately it is still only in Russian. Maybe in the future we'll be able to come up with some foreign language versions of the same propaganda we have, we stuff. Have,
0: we have a decent, decent number of Russian-speaking listeners as well from not oh, only Russia, cool. but, but the but Russian-speaking I, world. I still so no think worries. that we, but yes. we
1: should add yeah. more languages to our of spectrum course. of yeah, propaganda tools. Um, I, one thing I forgot to say is that uh, you asked, what what do we do, what, what we would like to do? We are trying to give stage and a possibility to speak out to our... Um, fellow minded uh viewers from from other republics and sometimes um from from places that are already drowning in in wars uh we did a, an interesting interview with a colleague and friend from Armenia and now i uh, recorded another one with guys from Azerbaijan and i think it is a very very promising Strategy. I'm hoping that one day we'll be able to have friends and um, comrades from Ukraine speaking openly. Un- unfortunately, it isn't possible today, but that's what we want to do. And this is why I also would like to invite uh, invite all of you, uh, and I'm a big fan of Second Thought. Some of oh, the shucks. videos were translated and are giving crazily wide circulation here among Marxists. Uh, so it, it it is really an honor for me to be interviewed by you, but I I would also like to um, uh, do vice versa and have you as my guests and and ask you questions about you know life in in the U.S. and and propaganda in the U.S. and being a socialist in the U.S. or in Iraq, or in in uh, Yugoslavia, or whatever. So again, I'm very thankful for this opportunity. I apologize for not being. Uh, the best speaker (laughs) but I tried better than ours shut
0: up, it is perfect
3: you did excellently, thank you well this has been a fantastic episode if I do say so myself, thank you so much for coming on, I personally learned a lot I think our listeners will as well Um, so thank you one more time for coming on this has been The D Program I'm JT, I'm Hakim I'm Yugopnik I'm Konstantin,
1: workers of the world unite, (laughs) bye bye